The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Thursday edition of The Yard, this serves as your Friday show. Three shows this week. We're going to take a little bit of a uh, family summer vacation this weekend, kind of a longer weekend, but... uh, some things to do, yeah, for sure. And uh, so wanted to get this knocked out for you today so you've got a couple days to enjoy it in case, uh, you know, maybe you're a weekend listener. I don't know. So now the next time we get together, we'll be recapping the uh, SummerSlam cookout event that'll take place late this afternoon and evening. Matter of fact, we may not go the full 90 minutes because I got to get to campus and uh, interview some players. But um, we're going to talk about that here in the first segment of the show. But, um, you know, we also got an interesting top ten list. And uh, we'll do a, uh, a portal update in our last segment of the show. So we're not going to do a bunch of baseball recruiting, but we're not going to ignore kind of what's going on, uh, kind of give you an idea of what I've heard here as of late. But uh, all that being said, it's, uh, it's good to be with you. It's a beautiful day here in Starkville, Mississippi. It's hot like all of you. I'm, uh, I'm ready for fall weather, which lasts, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. Uh, But I'm looking forward to waking up in those mornings and taking the dogs out and uh, feeling that little chill in the air, right? You know, most of us don't look good in shorts, right? Now, I I probably look better than most because, uh, you know, let's just be honest. I'm I'm just going to put it out there. I got good calves. I do. And I got the decorative skin, you know, multicolored skin. Uh, thanks to uh, several quality tattoo artists. But, uh, you know, like many of you, I, I kind of prefer cooler weather and cooler fashion, right? You know what I'm talking about. Throw on some jeans, put on some boots, that leather jacket, maybe an L.A. gun shirt, put my hat on, get out there and make some things happen, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's been a hot summer. And uh, I've said before on the show and in real life, if I ever leave Mississippi, it's not going to be for anything other than the fact that I want to escape these brutal Mississippi summers. And uh, I'll tell you this, and take it you know, for all you, that you want, but I have a tremendous amount of respect 
for people that have to get out and work in these elements, especially in the summer months, man. I mean, can you imagine being a highway worker this time of year? It's brutal, man. Guys out there roofing your house, working outside doing some gardening for you. And so to all of you that get out and work with your hands in this brutal weather, our hats are off to you. We appreciate your contributions to our society and many of you doing a job that uh, either we're not capable of doing or not willing to do. But I see those guys at MDOT, man, on the side of the road. I can't even begin to imagine how difficult that thing is. So, and again, the more I travel, the more I appreciate the fine folks at MDOT for all they do to keep Mississippi smooth. And you know what I'm talking about. You drive in some other states, man, it's, <laughs> you begin to realize, you know what, it isn't so bad back home. So, again, appreciate all of you. Drink plenty of water. Go to bed early. Get some rest. Put on some sunscreen. It's probably too late in the year for that, but you understand what I'm saying. I appreciate all of you. We don't say it enough, and we talk all the time about a lot of these other jobs that, that people do that maybe perhaps we would want to do that we're grateful for. Uh, but those fine folks that, that do a great job for the state of Mississippi maintaining our highways and roads, man, you guys are heroes, whether you get the appreciation for it or not. I can't begin to imagine doing that job all day, every day, especially uh, with the, the temperatures we've had to experience here as of late. I hope you guys are well compensated. i got plenty of benefits because uh, you do a very difficult job. All right, speaking of doing good jobs, and maybe to find folks at MDOT can roll into Bulldog Burger Company and enjoy a chocolate shake. Maybe we should start a GoFundMe for that, right? We'll just, we'll just put together a little uh, gift card, and we'll all contribute a few bucks to it and uh, let our MDOT workers go in there and get a chocolate shake on us. But uh, whether you're an MDOT worker or not, Bulldog Burger Company has something for you, right? Whether it be that great restaurant-quality hamburger or the BLT salad, which I would submit to you may be the best salad I've ever eaten in my life. Very generous portion. The ingredients are quality. I like to get it grilled. You may prefer it fried. It's okay. I'm not judging. Have it your way. I don't get the red onions on there. Maybe you do. You know, my wife goes with me. I just, you know, I, I don't tell them no onions. I just take my onions off and, and put them on her salad. But you can get it how you want it. Uh, and have that chocolate shake to go, right? But get the spring rolls as your appetizer. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I have for a long time. I was probably one of their first 500 customers. Man, I loved it. Me and Brian, hey, Dad, went to lunch there one day. And I was like, you know what? This is a do-over. This is definitely a do-over. I'm going to be back here again. Little did I know... I'd have this great relationship with this wonderful restaurant. Now with three great locations to serve you, University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, uh, Lake Harbor Drive and Ridge and Flowood area. And, and when Bulldog Burger and I, company and I got together, it was just one location, and now we're building an empire, right? And thanks to all of you that uh, listen to the show. That's one of the things when they began to do expansion, you know, when they got ready to get in there and get going, they said, hey, we've got some brand awareness down there, and we think a lot of it's because people listen to the Boneyard. What a nice thing to say right? Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let me tell you what I'm expecting, you know, this cookout thing. I, you know, there aren't any scheduled commitments, okay? That's not to say that something might not happen, but see, here's the thing, you know, things have changed a lot since we first started doing this, and I, I go back to, really, the days of Sylvester Croom. And you may, may have forgotten this, but uh, we started doing a little cookout there. And uh, you, know, you can't do an invite-only junior day. So you kind of do this little thing, and 
And uh, anyway, they'd, they'd have the little steak dinners, and everybody would eat, you know, up there in the skybox. And you know, it was one great weekend. We had everybody come in, and it's like everything kind of changed. You know, there was a lot of fragmented beliefs about where recruiting was heading in that class. We'd get Arcedo Clark to commit that day. A couple other guys that committed. Arcedo probably, probably a forgotten hero of the early Dan Mullen era here at Mississippi State. Arcedo was the guy that actually chose Mississippi State over Clemson. How about that? Did you know that Clemson was offering a wide receiver at Shannon, Mississippi? I was shocked when I first learned that. But we started doing that, you know, it's been almost 20 years now. Started doing a little cookout thing, a little steak dinner deal. Everybody and their families come in, and we'd feed them and get up and give a presentation about Bulldog football. But, you know, recruiting has changed so much since then. You know, people are deciding earlier. You know, I remember when, you know, junior days used to be, you know, kind of, you know, star-studded type events. Nowadays, a lot of people don't go to junior days. And, like, Mississippi State doesn't have a traditional junior day anymore. You know, you invite guys in for unofficial visits, and you may do, like, one kind of a cattle call type uh, junior day deal. But used to, you remember, I know when I first got into this industry you know, 20 years ago, it's a, you know, the measure of a program was how many visitors they had for junior day. It meant nothing. And I remember people bragging about that. Oh, there's 400 kids here today. Yeah, that is a waste of everybody's time. There's 400 guys that want to be, you know, part of our program. Well, certainly, right? The problem is, is that about 375 of them are not Division I prospects. It's a big part of that. And so they've gotten smarter and more efficient with their time. And so this event has kind of evolved. And, uh, you know, there have been some times, like Joe Moorhead, I remember one one particular – one of those deals we had, it was absolutely brutal. You know, temperature was terrible. But we had so many people come to campus, you know, and it was mainly the commitments and the priority targets, and that's what it will be today. Not all the commitments will make it. I've heard that uh, Luke Work has a team event, so he's not going to be able to make it. But, of course, he's informed the coaching staff. There's no issue to worry about at all with his recruitment. Luke was born a Bulldog. It was just going to be a matter of, would he develop into the type of prospect that would earn a Bulldog offer? Well, certainly he did. And now he's going to be one of ours, you know, not just in the stands, but on the field. But uh, so Luke won't be here. There's a couple other guys, kind of iffy, whatever. Uh, but we'll have some other guys in town. And then Ole Miss is going to have their deal uh, Saturday. So there'll be, there may be a handful of guys that come to our deal and then go to their deal. And it's really just kind of a cap of the preseason recruiting efforts. Right? It's one final, you know, hey, we love you. We're glad you're part of our family, or we want you to be a part of our family. And we'll kind of move forward. Because you know, so much of this, you know, begins, hey, when they're juniors, you know, they're coming to uh, unofficial visits and, uh, you know, they're part of the game day uh, visit list. Then they come to the, you know, unofficial junior day stuff. And then they'll come to spring practice or the spring game. They'll come back for camp. And so, at this point, there's been a lot of interaction between coach and player and family, and now we're all about to shift into football mode. Everybody. And so this is, again, just kind of the end of one chapter and the beginning of another because most of these prospects will not be back on our campus unless they come as game day visitors and then official visitors. So there's not going to be a lot of this face-to-face interaction until after the season unless it begins with the student-athletes themselves. Like we don't get to do in-home visits, of course, until as soon as the regular season's over. Well, then, you know, a few weeks after that, we're signing. 
And just about every weekend in December, most of the undeclared prospects will be taking official visits to other places. And so that's kind of the importance of this. It's just one more chance to kind of informally sit down over a meal, get everybody together, get your undeclared prospects around your committed prospects, let them trade numbers and forge relationships if they haven't already, and then have them kind of help with your recruiting efforts. So it's an important thing. But again, if we get a commitment, I, I won't say it's a total surprise, but it's not anything that we're expecting. Like we, we don't have like a string of commitment stories together. We'll give you full coverage over jeanspage.com, but uh, there will be some guys there that, that you're going to be interested in. And I think the more time that you get these guys together, the better off it is because they're not just committed to Mississippi State or committed to your coaching staff or to your fan base. They become committed to each other. I remember a discussion way back when Tyler Russell was a senior at Meridian High School. We had made a coaching change. Dan Mullen was here, and Dan just really kind of wanted Tyler to say, look, Coach, I want to be your quarterback. You know, Les Kenning was involved recruiting Tyler and his family. And I remember a discussion that uh, Craig Russell, Tyler's dad, loved Craig and Marcy. Man, what great people. The whole Russell family, man, I love them all. I do. And Craig Russell told me, you know, that uh, one of the things that happened, you know, when – when they got ready to get sit down and decide, you know, South Carolina and some others were trying to get Tyler Russell to um, to flip to them. And somebody close to Tyler sat him down and said, hey, listen, you know, you helped put this class together. You know, you recruited Denias Timms. You helped recruit Ladarius Perkins and Chad Bumpus. And while I ultimately believe those players would have all ended up in Mississippi State, Tyler Russell was a huge part of our class. And it was like, you know what? These are, the, these are going to be your buddies. These are the guys that you're going to be going to class with, going to work out with. And when times get tough, those are the people you're going to be leaning on. You know, when those guys are having tough times, they're going to be leaning on you because you're their friend. You're the captain of this class. And so you've put this group together. Now here at the end, we're making a change in offensive philosophy. And, and I understand why you may have some reservations, but at the end of the day, you're going to go to South Carolina where you don't know anybody. You're going to go to Alabama where you don't know anybody. You know, these are your buddies that were in the Dandy Dozen photo shoot with you. These are your buddies that, you know, played the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game with you. And so you've already got established relationships with them. That's an important aspect of this, you know. And so, you know, you wouldn't just be decommitting from Mississippi State. You'd be decommitting from Chad Bumpus and Fletcher Cox and Josh Boyd and Cameron Lawrence and Arcito Clark, all these guys, you know. And that makes a difference. You know, recruiting is about relationships, but it's not just about coaching and players. When you get guys to come on campus and they begin to participate and attend all your events, they bought the maroon and white T-shirt. Every time you see them, they're all decked out in maroon. It's hard to flip those guys. It is. Once they're – we used to always joke about that, Melvin Smith and I. I said, yeah, once they buy the T-shirt, they're in. And he's like, yeah. He goes, I always knew once they left us and went to the bookstore, more times than not, we had them, right? More times than not, we had them. Once they put a poster of Dak Prescott on their wall, you know, it's a little different nowadays. You know, I guess I don't know how moms are these days. But, you know, when my walls were adorned with, uh, you know, pictures of Motley Crue and Guns and Roses and Rats from Hip Parader and Circus. But uh, – it's a different dynamic these days, but you know, once, you, once you're invested, once they begin to identify with the Mississippi State family and with the Mississippi State commitments, it's difficult. If you go back to this baseball thing this summer, right? 
pre-draft, all of your high school signees made the move to campus, began to go through workouts and summer classes together with two exceptions, two. And both of those guys were drafted and ultimately signed pro contracts. But the guys that came here together, you know, they were already thinking, you know what, I'm, I'd really like to go to school unless I get life-changing money. But once they get here and they get around each other, and some guys still got calls, but all of a sudden the whole idea of being a Mississippi State Bulldog was kind of being realized. Oh, well, all of a sudden now my family's gone to all this trouble to move me here, you know, so we're financially invested, we're emotionally invested. You know, I'm going to Bulldog Burger Company with the rest of my guys. I mean, it's my, my future teammates, you know. And so it's difficult to walk away from that. I go back to when DJ Looney was here. And uh, when DJ Looney was a... Uh... All right, Bulldog fans, our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tacovas is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tacovas has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovas has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. A high school senior. And God bless DJ Looney's family. Uh, Miss Sarah Looney, man, what an amazing woman she is. I, I hear from her occasionally. You know, something will pop up, a Facebook memory of DJ and I, and she'll reach out. I've got something big going on in my life and my kids, and she'll reach out. Just an amazing woman. And it always makes me a little sad. I'm always happy to hear from her. It always makes me a little bit sad. And, and um, we used to call DJ the mayor. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I believe I'm the one that gave him that label when he was a senior in high school. Because DJ was the guy that was reaching out to everybody hey, you got to be at the game this weekend. Let's all get together. Hey, so-and-so's going to be here. This big recruit's going to be here. We all need to be here together to kind of gang up on him and say, hey, come be a Bulldog with us. Guys, that was every week. Every single week. And then when DJ becomes a student athlete here, even though he didn't play an awful lot, DJ was the guy that we would put on as an official host for priority targets because we knew DJ was going to be a great ambassador for Mississippi State. DJ was going to be a guy that was going to do a great job kind of selling the Mississippi State experience. And unlike your coaches, DJ could do a little negative recruiting. Like, oh, you don't want to go up there. You want to go over there. You want to go down there. This is where it's at. And so there's so much of that dynamic that I think that maybe the casual fan doesn't fully appreciate. You've got to get the recruits that you want to buy into relationships with the people that are going to be part of their everyday life. You know, the campus tours are great. As I dropped the phone. Campus tours are great. They absolutely are. Meeting with the academic advisors, great. A necessary part of it. And that's really more for parents than it is for students. Touring the facilities, great, right? Especially for us when so many people think that, you know, we're out here living in double-wide trailers and a barbed wire fence. No offense to anybody, but, you know, we are an SEC program, and people show up here and they're like, holy smokes, I didn't know it was this nice out here. It wasn't always. We've made a lot of strides in the last 20 years when it's come to football facilities. But everybody's got good facilities in our league. Everybody does. And that's important to understand. We're not going to out-facility LSU or Alabama or Georgia. It's not going to happen. What we have to do, and this, again, kind of goes back to the Dan Mullen era. Dan was always like, if we can just get them on campus – if we just get them here and they meet the people of Mississippi State and they see that our facilities surpass the expectations of perhaps what they were told, you know, maybe their high school football coach was a recruit too. And maybe when he came through here, we didn't have any of this stuff. So maybe they have a negative opinion of Mississippi State. But all of a sudden, you know, we as an athletic department in the last uh, 20 years or so, have really made a commitment to facilities and to improving the player experience off the field. And so now all of a sudden you get here and you realize, okay, I've got everything I need here. I mean, we don't need a water fountain, right? We don't need an ice sculpture, but I've got everything I need in the weight room. I've got great academic support. I've got a beautiful campus. I've got a great atmosphere. But more importantly, I've got great people around me. 
The number one thing that you hear when you talk to recruits and their families after they've committed to Mississippi State, what mattered the most? Man, it's like a family over there. And, that, and listen, that, that became a hashtag. And listen, the transfer portal, of course, is, you know, kind of made people, uh, you know, that definition of uh, family has been strained a little bit, to borrow another Dan Mullen term. You to put that strain out there. The strain that's required. But the reality of it is, is that it really is a family. It really is. And that's not to say that, that your inclusion in our family is somewhat uh, conditional. You know, you, you decide to leave the family. You know, there's not going to be a lot of people to wish you well. You know, there are some guys, as you guys know, you know, we've had some guys come in here and really give a great effort and just couldn't get on the field. And you think to yourself, man, I really like that kid. And so when they transfer, you're like, hey, you know what? Good for you. Get out there and go make some memories. Have a chance to get on the field because, hey, in a year or two, you're going to be working every day. You're not going to have a chance you know, to play college football. You know, I think about Reed Byers. Great example of that point. Reed Byers, one of the best people to ever wear the maroon and white from an outstanding family. Outstanding. And I've met them all. His dad played baseball at Ole Miss. His mom, a beauty queen here at Mississippi State. Uh, sister, Miss Mississippi, here at Miss Mississippi State. A brother to play football at Ole Miss. But they're an outstanding family. And so when Reed got the opportunity, of course, when Reed was first kind of coming up, you know, uh, felt he was a Division One prospect. His dream was to go to Mississippi State. I wasn't sure if it ever happened. And so they told him, hey, we'd like for you to go to JUCO for a year and kind of prove yourself. And lo and behold, it wasn't just recruiting speak. Lo and behold, yeah, he goes and does that. And then we have uh, and we have a kid transfer out. And so numbers-wise, we weren't where we wanted to be. And then Mason Miller goes and gets him. And Reed comes in here and works exceptionally hard and never found a spot in the starting offensive line. Never caused any problems. He was a model teammate. You're not going to find anybody who's going to say anything negative about that kid or his family. Just an outstanding young man. And so then he goes in a transfer portal. And immediately, immediately, I begin hoping, okay, listen, need this kid to get on the field somewhere. Doesn't matter where it is. Need him to get an opportunity. Because he has come in here and had a chance to realize his dream. And now he's got a couple years left. And so now he has an opportunity to go somewhere and play. Uh, because nobody wants to be a tackling dummy, right? It's not just enough to wear the uniform. Maybe maybe that's how you would feel. You know, I'm just too competitive, right? I, I just – as much as I love Mississippi State, I'd rather play against Mississippi State than warm the bench. That, that's me. You may feel differently, uh, you know, and that's okay. But immediately this happens, and I reached out to a couple of G5 coaches that I know and said, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you, this guy is the real deal. You know, and, and he is a good player. He's a good prospect. Maybe he was never going to be an SEC starting offensive lineman, but I'll tell you this. Uh, you're, you're not going to find a better person than Reed Byers. You're not. You could search the portal over, and you may find some better players. You may find some guys with a little more talent, maybe some guys with a little better size. But as far as the guy that's going to be given 100% in workouts and in practice every single day, a guy that's going to support the coaching staff, a guy that's going to be a great teammate, you're not going to do better than revise. It's going to be up to you to kind of coach it out of him. But as far as uh, what he brings to the table, he's already polished enough as a person to help you, right? So when that guy leaves, everybody, as, as our fan base goes, is like, you know what? Yeah, he's leaving under good terms, and we'd love for him, for him to have been able to stay here and become a starting offensive lineman. But you start rooting for the kid, right? 
It's like, yeah, I'm going to root for the Bulldogs, but Reed came in here and gave it his best, and it just didn't work out. It's nobody's fault. It just didn't work out. And now he's in South Alabama. You know what? And I hope he goes over there and has a tremendous experience, meets his wife, gets his degree, and maybe gets a chance to go to training camp somewhere, make some memories up there, and then has a great life. And at the end of the day, that's what we should all want for every student athlete, whether they come to Mississippi State or not, right? If we want a good society. But there are other guys out there that, you know, they come in here and they're difficult. You know, they come in here and there's a problem. And there's a lot of times these guys get in trouble, but it doesn't make the paper. Guys do stupid things. And listen, no school has a corner of the market of kids making bad decisions. Nobody does. And like any time, like the other day, we, the kid from Ole Miss got the, uh, the DUI, Xavier Harris from uh, down around Germantown, you know, and everybody's like, oh, look at this. Guys, listen, <laughs> there's no point making any jokes about that, number one, because it's at some point we're going to have a kid make a foolish decision too. And number two, let's not forget the fact that we did stupid stuff when we were 19 and 20 years old too. Some people are still doing it in their 50s. But my point being is that these things happen, and it's important to kind of give a little grace. But by the same token, there are some guys that are just, you know, it's just not a good fit. Or maybe perhaps they didn't turn out to be the, the player or person that we thought. And they leave, and sometimes they burn the bridge on their way out. And, of course, we've got our little, uh, you know, welcome wagon community, uh, community that will turn on somebody in a second on Twitter. Oh, you're a quitter, you know. It doesn't make us look good. It doesn't. And along those lines, too, I think one of the things, too, and we're going to talk about some uh, baseball portal stuff later, but it's just like the Braden Montgomery thing. I, I don't know that it helps us, you know, when our, when our fans are out there just kind of assuming this kid is coming. You know, I, I think it may even put some undue pressure on, on the kid, not just Braden Montgomery, but kind of anybody, you know. Um, so, I don't know. It's one thing to have wishful thinking. It's another thing to kind of, you know, make it an argumentative type deal. But uh, my point being is that, you know, the transfer portal is where we are, and – there are some guys that, uh, you know, show up and for one reason or another they need a reset. And sometimes we need a reset. You know, a lot of times people think, oh, they're leaving us. What's happening? There's, and there's some people, and you know who they are. I mean, in the Facebook groups, anytime anything happens, it's always Mississippi State's fault. They try to find some way to make it Mississippi State's fault. Is there any way we can assign blame on Dr. Keenum? Is there any way that we can rope Zach Selman into this or – or uh, Chris Jans. You know, there's always, let's find something. Things happen. You know, the human experience is an imperfect existence, right? But it seems like, I think to myself, why are we always forecasting failure? Why are there some of our fans, like, you know, we had this deal a while back, and I've mentioned this on the show before. We had a walk-on quarterback that never, ever made the dress list, ever. And I'm sure he's a great young man. And all of a sudden, a thing pops up, Mississippi State quarterback enters portal. I'm thinking, what? What is this? What? This is around the time all the Will Rogers stuff was happening. It was all clickbait stuff. And it was a walk-on quarterback that never took a snap. And then all of a sudden, I see these people in this Facebook group say, we even going to be able to fill the team this year? You don't even know who this kid was before this article came out. So why do we have some that just automatically just jump on that? Yeah, it's one thing I talk about. You know, we've had a lot of discussion about Mississippi State and LSU baseball uh, in recent weeks because, you know, we're competing for some of the same players in the portal. And one of the things that I admire about LSU fans, I do, 
delusional as they may be, they expect good things to happen. You say, oh, well, LSU's going to play something. We're going to kill them. You know, and, the, and our people be like, well, we just, we're just hoping to keep it close. And it doesn't matter the season. It doesn't matter what kind of year LSU is having. They have this whole spirit of cooperation. There is this brotherhood among them where it's like, hey, we're the best. And when we're not the best, it's because we screwed up. It's not because somebody else is better. But on the flip side, like Mississippi State folks are like, you know, hey, we're all right. You know, it's like we need somebody to lower the hurdles for us. You know, I, I've, I have raised championship bulldogs. I don't know what you've done in your family. I'm not being critical. But I have raised my children to expect the best from themselves and expect the best from Mississippi State. We're never going to get to where we want to be if we have this collective feeling of inferiority. Not going to happen. That's why I think having guys like Zach Arnett, guys that are winners and have been winners throughout their life, leading our football program. You know, Zach Arnett is not here by default. A little story about Zach here before we move on. And uh, I may have touched on this before, but, you know, Zach Arnett actually interviewed for our head coaching job last year kind of unofficially. You're like, what? Well, Mike Leach was here. Well, yeah, it's true. But, you know, there were some things behind the scenes. You know, we kind of knew Mike was having some health problems. I mean, Mike wasn't the picture of health. I love him to death. Mike didn't always take care of himself, you know. But, you know, Mike was already having some issues. And uh, there's some things I'm not going to share, you know, out of respect for Mike and, and the family. But, you know, give John Cohen and, and our people from our administration credit. Says, you know what, hey, if – if for one reason or another your coach decides to retire this year, you know, or our coach has to take some time off, let's kind of see what we've got in Zach Arnett. Well, that's one of the reasons it was such an easy decision to make because we knew what Zach Arnett was made of. And Zach Arnett has had multiple opportunities to leave Mississippi State, and he chose not to. And now here he is. You know, we could have elected – to do a nationwide coaching search and stretch this thing out and probably lost most of our recruiting class and some players in the roster too. But I don't think that's the driving factor behind why you promote Arnett. I think you promote Arnett because you know he's the right guy for the job. It was the right decision at the right time. And, and I think when you look back now, and what, what's it been, seven months now? We've had a winning seven months. We hadn't even played a game yet. Because, you know, I guess the, the ReliQuest Bowl was him, you know, obviously. But that was a different circumstance. You know, we hadn't, we hadn't lined up and played a season when Zach hadn't had a chance to really put his fingerprints on the program in and of itself other than the defense. But when you look at everything that's happened, everything, the retention of the roster, check. Sound a good recruiting class, check. Hire a good staff, check. Get through the spring healthy and get through the spring with some momentum. Check. Get some good summer recruiting done. Start capitalizing on some in-state wins. Check. So the question that I have for you is like, you know, when we look at the fact that, you know, there's been several things now where Zach Arnett has made the big deal, right? He's gotten the big thing taken care of. Why, why would we expect him to fail in a season? Well, Steve, I understand, but my, my point being is winners win. 
It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter if we're playing football or tiddlywinks or Chinese checkers or whatever. Winners find a way to win. Winners win in recruiting. Winners win when it comes to go when they're competing with somebody to hire a coach. Winners win with their own players in their own locker room. They command the respect of the locker room, not out of fear, but out of leadership. And so, again, we haven't played a single game. But the reality of it is, is that every opportunity that Zach Arnett has had to step up and be a leader for Mississippi State football, he's done it. He's done it. And I think that's one of the things that will be evident at this cookout deal this evening. It's just kind of laying it out for these guys. It's like, hey, here's who I am. Here's what Mississippi State has done. And we talk about, you know, 13 straight bowl games and uh, top 15 draft picks. You know, we're an elite company in that respect. And people want to say, yeah, but well, traditionally, okay, how far are you going back tradition-wise? Tell me that. Because we're not talking about recent trends. That's one thing that always – we cherry-pick, right, what fits our narrative. All these people picking Mississippi State seventh, you know, come on. And I admit, as I mentioned on yesterday's show, there's a couple personnel groups that we've got to shore up. That's the case for everybody. We, we only become so acutely aware of what happens here because we only keep up with other teams when it's kind of, you know, of peripheral interest. You know, something will flash across the headlines. You're like, hey, did you guys know this? More times than not, we don't. You know, it's just like the whole thing. Everybody's like, well, you know, pitching, pitching, pitching. Do you, do you be taking a look at what pitching is going to look like in the SEC next year? I mean, honestly. I had somebody ask me that yesterday. I said, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. Well, once you go think about it, I go think about it. And I think, you know what? Pitching's going to be challenged this year in the SEC. Outside of maybe Arkansas and in some respects LSU, I mean, you know, I think some Sunday games this year are going to be awfully interesting. But my point being is that it is so easy to get caught up in the negativity of the world. And there's all these people, again, that are forecasting failure about Mississippi State that don't cover Mississippi State, don't follow Mississippi State. And I'd venture to say outside of watching the Egg Bowl, didn't watch a single game of Mississippi State football last year unless it was the, the team they covered. Unless he played the team they covered. So, again, it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, but the reality of it is, is there's a lot of good things happening. And we'll close out our court summer recruiting this evening. And uh, if we'll have a live thread over on uh, jeanspage.com. Come by and check it out. We'll have the updates of who's coming and going. And we can't interview players until it's all over with. We cannot interact with recruits while they're guests of the university. But uh, we will do our best to catch up with everybody uh, once it's all over and said and done with. And we'll get their reaction. And, again, and if something breaks, if there's a commitment, you know, we'll be right on top of that for you. We don't we, – again – you never know with this stuff. You, n- you never know. You think you know, and then, you know, you get surprised. But it's important to kind of hang in there and understand that um, this is a big deal. It may not be the big deal it was 15 years ago or even 10 years ago, but it's still a big deal anytime that you get guys on campus with their families to kind of promote this family atmosphere here at Mississippi State. All right, time for today's top 10 list. As always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R. Dot com. Let me give you Blair's uh, cell number right now. Just between us girls. Blair Chandler's cell number, 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. You say, Steve, why should I need that number? That's because you're going to call and text Blair for a solution, right? Whether you're looking to buy a home, perhaps refinance a home, I don't know your situation. I don't know your circumstances. You know, Maybe you need to cash out. Maybe you need to consolidate some debt. But, you know, more importantly, maybe you just need to find somewhere to live, a place to call your own. 
Or maybe perhaps you're thinking about that little plan I told you about where, you know, hey, our kids are going to college. Rather than throw away five years' worth of rent, why don't we buy a place up there and co-sign with the kid? Allow them to build some adult credit, but also, too, make it a bit of an investment. It's important to understand that. Check in with Blair at closeatblair.com, the proud sponsor of the Top Ten List. All right, uh, so we had some pretty tragic news worldwide about a uh, former pop star from the 1990s, uh, Sinead O'Connor. Now, I'm, I shared some things on Facebook yesterday, and uh, I'm basically out of friend slots, so if you request me, you're just going to have to follow me. But um, nevertheless, I was not a big fan of Sinead O'Connor in the beginning. Really, I didn't really kind of become a fan of Sinead O'Connor until uh, much later when uh, I saw one of these where are they now type things with her. And um, she lived a very tragic life. Uh, a young lady that really had, you know, mental health issues much of her life. And a lot of it relates back to some childhood trauma. And uh, she went to therapy and tried to address that. And she was one of those kinds of people that uh, even though life had not necessarily been fair to her she did a lot to help other people now when she was a superstar in the united states you would not have thought that uh, i go back to the very beginning there were so many people I, i'm old enough to remember this because i'm from the 1900s i remember when her debut album hit and she was listed as kind of like a person to watch different and uh, you know she had a shaved head and a lot of people thought that was a fashion statement, just to kind of stand out. A beautiful lady, for sure. But she shaved her hair, and a lot of it was, you know, we thought, you know, for shock. Because you got to think in the 80s, it was a much different deal. Uh, female superstars in, uh, in the pop era of the 80s, you know, big hair, provocative clothing. And so Sinead O'Connor was very much kind of the anti-hero in that respect. You know, she, and I would venture to say, was more talented than many of those. But she never portrayed herself as a sex symbol. She wanted to be known for her talent and her ability more than her looks. And that was really what the statement was about. It wasn't, you know, she was basically challenging the traditional norms of what women should, should look like and how they should act. Very much a rebellious person. She got into a lot of trouble uh, for those of you that remember, is she went on Saturday Night Live, and during the rehearsal before her performance, she they, she was going to sing an acapella version of Bob Marley's War, and then in rehearsal, she held up a picture like of an orphan child or something. Well, when the live performance came, she held up a picture of the Pope and ripped it up and threw it at the camera, and everybody was shocked, and she was banned for life from NBC, and chances are she knew she would be. And she made a comment, you know, fight the real enemy. Nine years later, they finally acknowledged that there were some atrocities against young people within the Catholic Church. It really wasn't the secret that many people uh, you know, portrayed it to be. But Sinead O'Connor was really one of the first people to kind of stand up and draw attention to that, and she was vilified for it. And it probably cost her millions of dollars, not just in the United States, but worldwide. I read yesterday that they had over 4,000 calls to NBC, and only seven of them 
were in support of Sinead O'Connor. Never have her back on there again. And she wasn't doing it to be an agent provocateur. At the time, I thought she was. I said, this is a fading pop star that realizes that the snooze alarm on her 15 minutes of fame is about to go off. And so she's doing this for attention. That's what I thought. Because I didn't know. You know, that's the naivety of youth, right? You think everybody's got an angle. The truth of the matter is, Sinead O'Connor was the real deal. And while she kind of went off the deep end later in her life and died at just 56, there are a lot of things that are coming out now that actually were reported earlier that people just didn't pay attention. It didn't hit the radar because she was no longer an American star. You know, one of the things that she did is, you know, basically she donated nearly everything she ever made for the betterment of other people. She spent a lot of money to, uh, to help orphans in Ireland and families in need in Ireland. And she didn't do it for the Instagram. She didn't do it for the press release. She didn't do it to draw attention for herself. She was a real influencer and not a person that did things just for attention. And uh, while I did not agree with a lot of her political and personal viewpoints, I respect the fact that she was a very strong woman who had overcome a lot in life and used her platform to help other people. We could all learn that lesson from Sinead O'Connor. Of course, uh, you know, she converted to Islam later in life and said some things that were uh, some fiery rhetoric in many respects that she later apologized for, you know, and that's, if that's the biggest mistake that we all make, that that's, um, you know, it's it's not so bad, you know. We're all going to say some things probably in the the heat of the moment that we regret, but she was big enough to apologize for it. And uh, one of the things, too, that uh, she did, a very admirable job of was um, trying to educate young pop stars about the sexualization of their brands. Don't let the record company make you to be somebody you're not just to sell records. She was a woman of integrity. Whether you agreed with her or not, I think we all can say, you know what, I've got a certain modicum of respect for Sinead O'Connor for standing up for what she believed. And in the end, many of the causes that she supported, she was proved to be correct about. It's a true story. And sometimes, you know, there's, it's so funny, like, you know, nowadays, like, uh, you know, Ashley and Becky and Julie, they'll go to the beach, whatever, and, you know, they'll go make some bad decisions and make a post on Instagram about how, you know, uh, what, what's the, 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 uh, the caption they always put is, uh, well-behaved women uh, rarely make history. Yeah, th- that's offensive. That's not the behavior we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, the, the spirit of Joan of Arc gets in people like Sinead O'Connor and the people that question, you know, the status quo, people that challenge the powers that be. It's not so you can go have a White Claw. It's a different dynamic entirely. Much different. And if that offends you, then just sit there in your own offense. Uh, but the reality of it is, is that, uh, again, while this is not my cup of tea, uh, I... I'm a person that can admit that I probably was very judgmental of Sinead O'Connor early in her career and looked down upon her because she didn't behave the way I thought she should have. I can admit that. But I think over the course of her life, when I began to, again, kind of see things pop up a little bit, you're like, what 
what is old Shinehead doing these days? And it pops up and you, you read an article where she's, uh, you know, donated some paintings to charity that sold for tens of thousands of dollars and she donated every single penny to people that were suffering. And you think to yourself, was I wrong about her? And I'll be the first to admit I was. I was wrong about Sinead O'Connor. And uh, you may have learned, I'm sure, that uh, 18 months ago that her son committed suicide, and that's really, in the end, kind of what took her under, you know? And that's the really sad part of all of this. You know, it, it truly is. It's, it's truly a sad thing, because, you know, famous people have problems just like we do, just sometimes on a grander scale. You know, and it's played out on social media and the press and things like that. And, you know, the, the problems that we have are often very, fairly mediocre, but they don't make the press. You know, but when it happens to somebody else, there are a lot of people that are rooting for those people to fail. They want to see the hero stumble. And that's a, what a terrible way to go through life. Uh, but the reality of it is that Sinead O'Connor's gone. And uh, she lost her son 18 months ago to an apparent suicide. And... Um, she never recovered for it, and it's sad. And so we'll take this time. If you are a person that is considering harming yourself or others, dial 988 on your phone. You can make an anonymous call. There is help available. Uh, we need you on this side of the grass, okay? And I can tell you as a guy that is a survivor of suicide, I can tell you that had I been able to kill myself back in 1991, I would never, ever, ever uh, have met Dana and known love and known true happiness in life. I would never have had these four amazing children that are so incredibly high achieving. And I, there was a while back I was interviewed on MPB and the lady asked me, she said, what do you think your legacy will be? And I, my children, you know, my children will do greater things than I've ever accomplished or ever attempted, you know? And I think that's the part of it is like, you just gotta keep living. You just gotta keep living and you gotta keep working on yourself and try to be a better person because you never know what's around the next corner, good, bad, or indifferent. And there are great things in life. Life is beautiful. But it doesn't mean it's not going to, you know, it's not going to sun every, the sunshine's not going to, the sun's not going to shine every day. Now, you're going to have some negative things that happen in life. That's one of the, the profound truths that I've learned in a life of recovery. Is that all sunshine and no rain makes a desert. And we grow in the rainy season. You know, we begin to learn how to build a support system and how to depend on other people and how to love. And uh, I'm grateful to be alive today, you know. I mean, and there are a lot of people out there, I'm sure, that, uh, you know, if, if they're honest with themselves, probably would probably would have been happier if I'd have killed myself. You know, probably some people that uh, in recent years that have come to know me and said, you know what, I wish that guy would have overdosed and died after all. You know what, and they can sit back and watch because living well is the best revenge, Right. But uh, I wanted to do a top 10 today and give you guys a chance to kind of talk a little bit about this woman that uh, was so incredibly strong. And as I said in my Facebook post that, uh, you know, the term queen is thrown around so casually these days. And we want to crown everybody, you know, because we like them. They say what we want them to say. They sing a song that, we, that resonates with our spirit. Oh, she's a queen. She's a queen. Guys, Sinead O'Connor was a true queen. A true queen in a world full of pop princesses. She was a person that would not be manipulated. And a person did things her own way, good, bad, or indifferent, no matter how you feel about her, you have to respect the fact that she stood for what she believed in. 
So we're going to honor her music today. This is our top 10 list, and uh, I have listened to all of these songs, and I spent a lot of time last night and to this morning listening to the music of Sinead O'Connor. And um, here's my top 10. And we're going to make an exception to one of our rules for number one. Uh, number 10, Just Like You Said It Would Be. That's number 10. Number nine, The Last Day of Our Acquaintance. That goes back to her second album, you know, I do not want what I have not got. What a great way to live your life, right? Um, but it's an acoustic song that really talks about, you know, there's a relationship that's ending. You know, it's not, maybe not a love affair or whatever, but it's a relationship that's ending, and, and she calls it an acquaintance, which is kind of a flax in and of itself. Number eight, you made me the thief of your heart. That's another great one, too. One of my favorite ones is number seven, success has made a failure of our family. And really what the song is about, and I can identify with this because I think in many respects, Dana could probably have said the same thing to me at different points in our marriage. Because, you know, the more successful that I got, the less time I had for her or for the kids as things began so demanding. And what happens, like as Sinead talks about, you know, she became number two and success in a job became number one. And I can tell you as a guy that uh, has definitely reevaluated his priorities in recent years, uh, you have to always keep your marriage and family first. There's no job that's worth that, zero. Uh, number six, Fire on Babylon, that goes back several years. She had 10 albums. Were you aware of that, 10? I did the math yesterday, too. She sold, what, 6.2 million records, and about 5 million of that was uh, her second album. The other nine albums combined to sell uh, about a million. 700,000 of that was the first album. So she sold all but about half a million of her 6.2 million records, the first two albums. I think her last album sold less than 20,000 copies. I don't think she was any less happy, though. All right, number five on, on your list is uh, Troy, the great song Troy. This is a little bit upbeat. There, there, there was kind of sometimes the record company didn't just want her to be the, you know, the, the guitar solo singer songstress. You know, they had some songs they kind of put together and uh, had a little bit of electronica in it, a little bit. And Troy is one of those I think is super cool. There's another good song called Jackie from that same album I think you'll dig. Number four is I Want Your Hands On Me, another one of those that uh, kind of a record company creation in many respects. They kind of took her song and made it a little more pop friendly. Number three is Man Mandinka. That one goes back several years, too. Uh, it is a very, very good song. It's probably a song you've heard and just didn't know who sang it. It's one of those. Uh, number two, The Emperor's New Clothes. That was like the, you know, the, the big follow-up single. And uh, she has this kind of weird dance she does. And that, 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 that kind of made it go viral before viral was a thing. It's like, here, this very you know, serious activist uh, and she labeled herself, she was never a pop star. She said, I'm a protest singer. I kind of like that label. But The Emperor's New Clothes, great track. And number one, again, we traditionally don't do cover songs. But how could you talk about Sinead O'Connor without having nothing compares to you? And of course, it's a song originally written by Prince. She changed the arrangement and really changed the tone of the song. It became basically a lover's lament. And... Uh, an incredible song, and the video itself is very powerful, and a lot of people identify with this song, obviously. Or it wouldn't have gone to number one, and it wouldn't be a timeless classic. And there were so many people, of course, like, oh, what an incredible song, not knowing that it was Prince's song, but she made it her own. 
while she didn't write it, she sang it with such authenticity that people felt like, hey, this is a real deal. You could feel what she's singing and saying. It's important to understand. So, Sinead O'Connor, that's our top ten list. If you have an idea for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. We'll be happy to do it. Uh, A lot of of success here lately. Uh, We had a lot of people reach out, continuing to reach out about the Mother Love Bone list, and a lot of people getting some Facebook traffic on the PMRC list we put out today, uh, the Filthy 15. That was important to understand, too. It's an important time in music. And uh, little did we know that uh, this time yesterday we'd be talking about Sinead O'Connor. And, uh, again, a reminder, too, you know, hug the ones you love and make sure they know you love them. I remember years ago that it's um, on our Alabama message board on Scout years ago. They had a longtime poster that uh, had cancer, and she ultimately beat it. And uh, they thought she was terminal. And one of the things that she wrote, and I think about it at times like these, is the last thing she wrote, like ten things, lessons she wanted to share with other people before she got really sick. And the number one thing was forgive, forgive, forgive. It's important, man. It is. You know, how many times do we gas our own selves up, you know, with these feelings of bitterness and resentment when more times than not there is a reasonable explanation, but we're too proud to have the dialogue, you know? So it's important. That's what maturity teaches you is open your mouth, you know. Instead of living with your own misunderstandings, open your mouth and say, you know what, this is bothering me. This is, you know, I may feel kind of silly for saying it, but this bothers me. This is a problem for me. Because I can tell you, whenever uh, you know, whenever I do the uh, do the deal with uh, you know with Dana, when I, I talk to her, I'll, I'll I'll have myself all gassed up about something, and she's like, oh, "You're so silly." Here's what you know. And then you're like, oh, "So stupid." So it's important to open your mouth, have a dialogue, rather than just you know live with seething resentment. It's important to understand. All right, next segment of the show brought to you as always by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution. Check in with Campus Bookmart next time you're in town to find the world's greatest selection of Mississippi State merchandise. A lot of people make that claim. Only one of them holds the crown. That's Campus Bookmart. Go by and see their smiling faces the next time you're in Starkville. If you can't make it to town and want to support a Starkville business, which we always, always support here on the Boneyard, Go to campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 bucks, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. And again, football season will be here before you know it. It's just over a month away. Thank goodness. But it's time to start thinking about that game day outfit. Gentlemen. Maybe buy your wife something, buy the kids something. Mom, more times than not, it's you doing the online shopping. Let's go ahead and get outfitted for week one at campusbookmart.net. All right. Let's spend a little time now talking about the Auburn Tigers as we continue to work through our uh, SEC previews. You know, uh, a lot of people are curious to see how things go with Auburn. You know, believe it or not, they, they lost a lot from last year. Uh, they really did. And I think that's one of the things, you know, one of the reasons they hit the portal as hard as they did. And then we've seen, too, it's one of those things you say, hey, you can find some great players in the portal, but the fact that you're having to go to the portal sometimes, too, kind of makes you think, you know what, hey, there's some question marks about every bit of this. 
right? I mean, that, that's the big thing. You know, Brian Harson is gone. Your Cadillac Williams, of course, is interim coach down the stretch. They elected to keep him uh, on staff, which is a great thing. And l- let's be honest about it. Auburn football, with Cadillac at the helm, man, they were tough. We're the, I mean, I think we can all agree. They were tough. Took us an overtime <laughs> to beat them last year. And uh, we, got, you know, we started running away from them. And next thing you know, they wouldn't go away. And, you know, Will Friend, <clears throat> current Mississippi State assistant coach, was a play caller in that ball game. And they did a really good job with those quarterback runs off the edge. Got us caught up in the wash and made us pay for it. But uh, looking back at last season, Brian Harson's last. And, again, I, there's so much of that, too, with Brian Harson that, uh, you know, I don't know what all was true and what wasn't true. But uh, he was a man without a country heading into last season. I mean, everybody knew it. They tried to get him fired in 2022. There was this story, of course, where they uh, suggested impropriety, never found any evidence of it. And this poor young lady, of course, was thrust in the middle of all this social media conversation. But it was a tough deal. And uh, everybody knew Harson had to win and win big, and he didn't. They open up the year with a 42-16 win over Mercer. And then they struggle mightily with San Jose State. They win that game 24 to 16. Was not a good day on the Plains. They get smashed at home by Penn State. We expected that to happen, maybe not with the same margin. Then they eke out a victory over Missouri, which was very much a fluke. Missouri's going in for the game-winning touchdown, and they fumble, and Auburn recovers. Could have been a worse year. Harson's probably going after that. But they win 17-14. And I remember reading the social media commentary, people like, this is the biggest loss of a win we've ever had. It was just such an unfulfilling victory for Auburn fans. Missouri maybe didn't get enough respect for how they played defensively throughout the year last year. It played really well at Auburn that day. Auburn's ineptitude had a lot to do with the two. Problems at the quarterback position. Uh, the next week, they nearly pull off the big upset of, of LSU. You know, LSU comes back and, and wins that game. But Auburn was in a great position to win it. Harson, of course, is playing for his job or coaching for his job. But the Bayou Bengals get the victory there. And now all of a sudden you look up and you're, you're three and two and you're about to go to the heart of your SEC schedule. They go to Athens and get crushed. 42 to 10. A lot of people thought, okay, well, they'll go ahead and make the fire this week and then Ole Miss will have to face them. All renewed. They didn't. And if you remember, that was a great game and give Lane Kiffin a lot of credit because it was kind of a tennis match for a while, kind of back and forth. Nobody could stop anybody. And then Kiffin and those guys kick an onside kick and recover and were able to get some separation to ultimately win the game 48-34. If they don't kick that onside kick, they may still be playing. Arkansas then goes to Auburn the next week, and it's a 41-27 to loss. And a lot of people thought, well, they'll fire him and have the bye week, and then Arkansas will be uh, in trouble. But they weren't. Arkansas goes in and, again, scores without a lot of resistance. They come to Mississippi State, and you remember we had that game seemingly in the bag Things kind of get away from us. And, again, some design quarterback runs from Robbie Goodson off the right side mainly cause a problem for us. And then Woody Marks scores in overtime to win 39-33. Uh, the next week, 
a wound to Texas A&M, Tim, limps into Auburn, and uh, the Tigers get a dub for Cadillac. And to kind of keep their bowl hopes alive, the next week they beat Western Kentucky like a drum, 41-17. So they go into the Iron Bowl thinking, hey, we can get a win in Tuscaloosa, which is, you know, easier said than done. We're going to a bowl game. Didn't happen. Alabama wins 49-27. But, uh, again, I think you got to commend the, that those players at Auburn you know, down the stretch, you know, they were in every game. Cadillac Williams did a great job. A true Auburn man. And so, five and seven is the final record. So, we go back and look now, you know, kind of what they've lost and, you know, what they've got coming back. The quarterback situation is uh, interesting, shall we say. You know, a lot of reports out of Auburn that uh, Goodson in this scheme – has taken some real strides. So, the sure they'll have a package for him. Do they have a two-quarterback system? Yeah, that'll be interesting. You know, and you go back and you think about the freeze years at Ole Miss, the better freeze years is when they had the running quarterback. You know, Bo Wallace, not necessarily a plus runner, but a guy that was an effective runner, that RPO game was interesting. Bo Wallace, probably a better quarterback than um, what Auburn has in the room today. But, uh, you know, a lot of new names for sure. A lot of guys. Um, rebuilt the offensive line. Got three guys out of the portal. Um, and then four, I, I guess actually counting the, uh, the spring, as they bring in Tulsa's Jaden Muskrat. So four new offensive linemen just trying to rebuild there. Uh, what's going to go on here with Jarquez Hunter? That, that's, that's the big question for Auburn. Jarquez, obviously a guy from just down the road at Neshoba Central. Uh, state was on him, and for a while, it like State may get him. And there were a lot of rumors he really wanted to go out of state. And it looked like Auburn comes through late and says, hey, we really do want you. He heads over there. Of course, uh, you, you never know what to believe, you know, about this, this video situation, but he has been suspended from football-related activities. You just don't know. You don't know what to expect. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know what, he's not going to play this year. Other people are saying, you know what, it's probably going to be suspended for a few games. Not knowing the truth of the matter, it's difficult to truly speculate uh, with any sense of authority. So not sure what's going to happen with Hunter. Hope for the best for all involved, right, uh, except for the guilty. Anybody that's guilty and uh, hurt this young lady, you don't wish the best for them. You, you wish for justice for her. So, uh, and again, you don't know all the details. I don't. Maybe you do. But uh, it's going to be interesting, to say the least. But, uh, you know, what happens if Hunter doesn't play? That's big. Because you don't have uh, Tank Bigsby anymore, who was one of my favorite players in, in the SEC. But uh, Robbie Ashford, I think I called him Robbie Goodson earlier. Robbie Ashford was a starting quarterback down the stretch for them. Um, you know, and uh, T.J. Finley, of course, now at uh, school number three. Maybe it's not LSU or Auburn, TJ. Maybe it's not them. Um, Peyton Thorne, of course, transfers in. But, you know, quarterback room is still very much uh, in transition. They'll figure it out. Defensively, Auburn was not elite last year by any stretch of the imagination. They had a few dudes out there, but it just you know, wasn't a situation where things kind of came together. It'll be interesting, too, just to kind of see what, what they can put together defensively and again you got to go out there and, and you got to get in the portal 
And uh, Ron Roberts was the guy that has actually been mentioned in connection with the Mississippi State job uh, multiple times as defensive coordinator. He's a guy that worked at Louisiana Lafayette. A lot of people felt he would be back in the SEC at some point, and now he is. Uh, they are a tackle-for-loss type defense. Like, they want to move the line of scrimmage. Will they have the personnel to do it this year? You know, that's the thing when you bring in all these um, transfers is, you know, how do you develop a cohesion? You know, how do you get some consistency? How do you get those guys kind of playing as one? That's tough. Um, now, secondary-wise, Auburn ought to be really, really good. Had, had a couple of guys, of course, uh, make the all-SEC list. But So, you know, passing against Auburn may be a dicey proposition. But defensively, they should be ahead of the offense, especially if they don't have Hunter. That's important to think about, too. Uh, but, again, I think when you look at the schedule, you start thinking, all right, where are the sure wins? Can you assume a win if you're Auburn? Because everything is brand new. Now, Hugh Freeze, despite the fact that he and I have a history, you know, you got to give the devil his due. This is a guy that obviously understands how to coach offensive football. They know how to create mismatches. They know how to kind of uh, put you in a situation and make it a two-on-two type game rather than 11 versus 11 uh, with that RPO. So it's interesting to see. You know, of course, people forget, you know, Liberty, of course, beat Arkansas last year. Uh, and gave Ole Miss some trouble too. So it's not like Freeze has been totally removed from preparing for and coaching against SEC talent uh, during his time at Liberty. But they open up with UMass. That should be a, a, a W. I mean, right, I think you and I could go play call, play call plays and, uh, and win against UMass because you ought to be able to simply out-athlete them. The trip across the country to play California, that, that's interesting, right? I mean, it's like everybody's got the Power Five mandate for now, and we'll see. You know, I'm not going to get into all that again. But anytime that you got to cross the country to go play a game, as we know, even though we wanted Arizona, there was the hangover the next week, and, of course, we had to go play uh, LSU. And uh, they'll get Sanford the next week. But, you know, how do you feel about that, that – Week two game against Cal. Well, Cal was four and eight last year, you know. So I think if you're freeze, you're thinking, you know, we ought to be able to go in there and get those guys. I mean, it's not going to be a raucous environment. It's not like Cal coming to Auburn and playing in front of you know a sellout crowd. You know, if you can handle the fatigue of the travel, and again, that's a late kick. That's a nine thirty central kick. It could be interesting. And again, the next week they get Samford. And so don't be surprised if you look up that Auburn is 3-0. and Because they'll beat Samford too. They, they may have a bit of a hangover, but that 6 p.m. game at home, a little different dynamic than what we faced having to go to Tiger Stadium. But, um, yeah, they should be 3-0. and Then you got to go to A&M. You know, that's a real challenge. Of course, you've, you've already been on the road once, but uh, Kyle Field, not an easy place to play. SEC opener, be a packed house. A&M defensively should be pretty good. It's going to be tough to go win. I've got A&M winning that ball game to give Auburn their first loss. Then they host Georgia. All right, that's a loss too. Then you got to go to LSU. And, like, on paper right now, you'd say, you know what? That's probably a loss. So it makes them three and three. Then they host Auburn. Excuse me. Then they host Ole Miss. And then Mississippi State in back-to-back weeks. Then you get Vanderbilt. And then you're at Arkansas, and you think about that four-game stretch. 
that's when you got if, if you're Hugh Freeze and Auburn, you've got to find a way to get a couple of these. You have to. I think it's going to be tough to do, but you got to get a couple of these. Can they stop Ole Miss? It'll probably be a, a game I would suggest, probably a night game there, probably a pretty raucous environment. You know, Ole Miss secondary, eh, we'll see. But how much passing is Auburn going to have? You know, again, at this point, it's a toss-up game, and usually you favor the home team. And then Mississippi State's got to go to Auburn. And, again, you never know what condition both teams are going to be in by the time we get there. I've got State winning that game. Then they go to Vanderbilt. That should be a W. But, you know, Clark Lee and those guys proved last year that, you know what, don't take us for granted. Then you're at Arkansas. Then you get New Mexico State coming in. That should be a dub. And then you, you host Alabama. And so when you look at here and you say, okay, what are the sure wins? Well, I think all four of the non-conference games are ones you look at and say, you know what, they'll get those. They'll get those. And, and maybe Cal being a power five opponent is the most difficult of those, those, those four. But coming off a of four and eight year and with SEC talent, you think, you know what, we ought to be able to get that one. So let's go ahead and give them four and up. So what are they doing in the conference? Outside of Vanderbilt, and I wouldn't even call Vanderbilt a gimme, you know, where do the dubs come from, right? So, yeah, they got to go to Nashville. They ought to be able to play at a pretty good level there. But uh, the reality of it is is that there's not a sure win on this schedule when it comes to an SEC team. A lot of toss-up games. You know, the game at A&M, you want to call it a toss-up game, but I don't know that it is. You know, Georgia's a sure loss. LSU and Baton Rouge, probably a loss. Ole Miss coming in, Auburn, toss-up. State coming in, toss-up. Vanderbilt, you hate to call that a toss-up, but it, maybe it is, but Auburn should win that game. Got to go to Arkansas, and you never know what shape is K.J. Jefferson going to be in. Like, if K.J. is banged up, Auburn's got a good chance to go win that game. But Freeze is going to beat somebody he's not supposed to. But if you saw it today, you say, you know what, this is, this is a team in transition that had to hit the transfer portal hard. It may be difficult to mesh a roster together this year. And you look at it and say, you know what, this is probably maybe a five and seven, six and six type of year. But it's going to require a couple of upsets. I think Freeze will be fine there in time, you know, provided they can kind of keep their nose clean. I mean, I don't think there's any question that, uh, you know, the guy knows how to coach offensive football. But, you know, and they're getting some wins on the recruiting trail now. So better days, I'm sure they feel like are ahead. But this year could be a challenge. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we look up at the end of the year and like they're five and seven with, with a handful of competitive losses. But I also wouldn't be surprised to look up and say they're seven and five, you know, with an upset or two. Just, you know, there's a lot to it. But, I don't, you know, the expectations this year at Auburn are not great, and nor should they be. But I've got them uh, – I initially had them winning the Arkansas game, which is why I had them sixth and Arkansas seventh. So let's say they pick up Arkansas and Vanderbilt, makes them six and six, and if you if you can find a way to split with the Mississippi schools, then you're a seven and five team. Is that unrealistic? I don't think it is, because I don't think you're you're beating Alabama, LSU, or Georgia. Just my two cents, but uh, again, I'm sure they're very happy to have Coach Freeze there. Um, I know he's happy to be back in the Southeastern Conference, and uh, yeah, things have changed a little bit, you know. People have been playing against the spread for a lot longer. So, you know, some different concepts you got to come up with. Um, but it's all going to boil down to the quarterback spot, right? I mean, you know, that's the thing. I mean, you, you don't have your guy. 
right? And usually your guy is a guy that's been in your program for a couple of seasons and kind of understands how you think and what to expect and kind of how to read the field. So I expect there to be some real challenges. And, you know, we get them, you know, late October. They're going to be wearing orange that day, just so you know. I suspect it'll be an afternoon game, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but nevertheless, there are no easy weeks in the Southeastern Conference and with Vandy and South Carolina and Missouri all a little bit better. You know, you, you can ill afford to take anybody uh, for granted. As people have said many times, those guys get free school too, and including the stipend and many of them NIL money. But, you know, there are some toss-up games here, and you look at them and say, well, there's a handful of sure losses, but there aren't any sure wins in the SEC anymore. So it could be a real challenging year uh, at Auburn. So, again, I picked them sixth in the SEC West. And so if you missed our other previews, we've done Alabama, Arkansas, and now Auburn, and we'll continue to work alphabetically through the, the SEC here in the weeks ahead. Uh, but I'm just trying to give you some insight in how I feel about things. And, of course, you know, we have the, the benefit right now of basically everybody feels like they're going to have a good year. Everybody. Maybe not a great year, but a good year. And week to week, things change. You know, as, as, as the season wears on and the grind of an SEC slate takes its toll, you're going to be missing some players here and there. And, you know, I think Auburn can probably ill afford to drop a guy there on the front. And I think there will be a lot of people that will, you know, they'll want to try to run the football against Auburn. You know, with D.J. James and some guys, some other all-SEC backs in the, back, in the secondary, you know, I don't know that you're going to make a living throwing the football against Auburn. You've got, you got to be two-dimensional. You got to be balanced against those guys, but I think a lot of teams are going to try to run the football. And you know, schematically, offensively, Auburn ought to be pretty good. It's just a matter of you know taking a bunch of guys that are essentially plug-and-play guys, and then kind of building a team around those guys and building an offensive concept may be difficult. All right, final segment of the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the, the baseball portal. Uh, Unless something has happened in the, in the last hour, we have not had a decision from Luke Holman. I guess maybe let's uh, let's check that together. You know, you never know. I might I may have missed it. You know, talking with you guys, but uh, let's fire up the uh, the old Twitter, formerly known as Twitter, now known as X, uh, just to kind of see you know what's shaken, just to see, just to see if anything has happened with Luke Holman since we've been recording the show. Because I can assure you, if that's the case, I probably would have been uh, inundated with text and, and calls, but never, never know. You know. So the latest on Luke Holman, according to Twitter, is uh, nothing. Nothing. And I go back to uh, earlier this week, and people are like, hey, there's some people involved with Tennessee, covering Tennessee, that say, hey, He's going to announce Monday or Tuesday. That wasn't the information that I had. But you always question yourself. It's like, well, you know, maybe they know something I don't. You know, because I was told late last week that uh, they were fading, that Tennessee was fading. It doesn't look like there's been an update on uh, over in the Jeans page uh, baseball message board either. Let, let's scurry through this together just to make sure that uh, we haven't missed anything, you know. Um, doesn't appear that we have. There's a lot of commentary, a lot of people offering their predictions and, you know, kind of part of the deal. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting, right? It's just important to understand that all this is going to happen when it's going to happen. And uh, he has never released, like, a time frame for when he's going to make a decision. I was told late last week Tennessee was fading 
and that he would choose between LSU or Mississippi State this week. And, of course, our Tennessee people, of course, said that um, Monday or Tuesday. That was not the information that I have, and I hear it is Thursday, and we still don't have a, uh, a decision, which tells me that um, they don't have a good read on it. Like, whoever they're talking to uh, is not maybe fully apprised of the facts. That's important, you know, important to understand. But, uh, again, nothing has happened as of yet. It may change this evening, you know. And I think you know, the sooner you find out, the better you are, you know. Uh, now, in addition to that, State hosted uh, Purdue weekend starter Kyle Steven, or Cal Steven, excuse me, uh, earlier this week. Cal Steven was the best starting pitcher at Purdue last season. And uh, is now in the portal, and State is, uh, you know, in contention. I don't know how hard State is pushing just yet, but they did bring him in for a visit, so there's clearly interest on both sides. But to kind of give you some, some details on him, uh, Cal Steven, 6'4", 215-pound right-hander from Williamsport, Indiana, a product of Seeger High School, a finance major, and uh, was a third-team All-Big Ten selection as a sophomore last year. He has two years of eligibility remaining, but we do think that he's a guy that could uh, work his way into a draft situation. Purdue was a team that finished five games beneath 500 last year. And then, uh, you know, Cal, and it's spelled K-H-A-L, but it's not Cal or Call, it's Cal. He was their best pitcher. And... Um, and so some have said, you know what, I don't know that he's a Friday guy in the SEC, but he could certainly be a Saturday guy or a Sunday guy. And you think you got uh, you know, Carson Ligon coming in. Uh, you're, you're kind of fortifying things. Of course, if you find a way to get Luke Holman to go along with that, that makes things even better. But that's part of the deal, right? I mean, if you can get Holman, obviously, you get Holman, you add Steven too. I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, you're in a great shape. Of course, you still want to add Braden Montgomery. Uh, but, to, you know, to, to look at Steven here, I kind of run down the numbers for you because I've looked at this extensively here in the last 24 hours. Uh, he had 14 starts last year and uh, with an ERA of 5.21, a record of 7-4. and four. And You say, Steve, that ERA is really high. Well, let me give you some context to that too. So 76 innings pitched, which was a staff high, as were the seven victories. As, as a matter of fact, he was the only regular starting pitcher with a winning record at Purdue. He allowed, uh, what, 44 earned runs. 18 of those came in two games. One of those was against Indiana with the, the wind blowing out, and they gave up five home runs in the game. Yeah, they were trying to save arms, left him out there. That ball game ended up being 26 to 11. And so the numbers are kind of skewed. And he also pitched against Ole Miss, did not have a good outing. So a lot of people are like, well, Steve, he faced SEC hitting and didn't do well. But uh, again, 18 of his 44 earned runs came in two games. So you back those out and you start looking at the numbers here, the ERA is then under four, you know. And, again, gave up 15 home runs on the year, six of them in two games. 14 outings. If you get 12 quality starts and 14 outings, you're going on a ball games. And they had a – had a, in the, the Friday record for them last year was nine and five. If we're going nine and five on Fridays – we might be hosting, right? Now, is he going to be the Friday night guy? I don't think so. 
Uh, but he's certainly a guy that you look at and you think, you know what, this is a chance for us to upgrade here and provide some more competition on the weekend. And a lot of people are like, hey, you know, the key to this is to go find the G5 guy. Well, what if we could go find a couple of Power 5 guys? Carson Ligon from Miami and then Cal Steven from Purdue. That's two Power 5 guys. So the adjustment to the SEC is not nearly as dramatic as it is for a guy coming up from the G5. That's just the reality of life. But again, 76 innings pitch, 72 hits, so a less, one hit less per inning, went less than one hit per inning. Uh, not a big strikeout guy. He's kind of a pitch-to-contact guy. And uh, that's one of the things, of course, that uh, they can work with him on, you know. Uh, batting average against was 248. That's a little bit high. We'd like to bring that down. But when you begin to think about what it is uh, in context compared to the rest of his teammates, it was outstanding. You know, he led them in, in just about every statistical category, 66 strikeouts. He's, he's a two-to-one strikeout guy. Uh, but he is a guy willing to challenge hitters. And, again, you know, they left him out there you know, to die a couple times at games that kind of got away from him because he was Friday. So you don't want him to burn all your bullpen arms in a game that's already you know, essentially separated. And that's kind of where we sat with all that. And so I think he would be a good addition. Could he be our Friday night guy? I guess he could be, you know. Uh, I don't know that he will be. I think he'd prefer to have Luke Holman and maybe have a guy like him go on Saturday. And, of course, Carson Liggins can be part of this deal too. But when you have the opportunity to upgrade talent and you get a proven Power 5 guy, and you got to think about this too. I mean, again, this Purdue team was middle of the pack at best in every offensive category. They were 10th out of 13 teams in the Big Ten in scoring. So there wasn't a ton of run support to go along with this, you know, for, uh, for Cal. And so uh, this is a guy, obviously, that, that could be an interesting piece. And I think that's one of the things you begin to ask yourself too. You know, when, would I rather have the guy from Southern Miss – with the same numbers, or the guy from Purdue. I mean, there's not a Southern Miss guy out there. I'm just trying to use this as an example. I would prefer the guy that has put together some wins against Power 5 competition. That's just me. That's how I'd feel. This is not a replacement for Luke Coleman. That's, you know, we, we have been chasing uh, Cal since he went into the portal, and we'd like to add a couple more arms. So a lot of people think, oh, well, here we go. Uh, Luke Coleman hadn't announced yet, and – you know, the thing that we've been told, you know, all week is kind of been back and forth between State and LSU, still kind of figuring things out. But nothing yet. But would you take Coleman and Steven? I think you absolutely would. I think there's any question about that. You know, a chance to go add three Power 5 starters to your weekend. And some of our fans, too, have gotten so emotionally invested in the Luke Coleman thing. They forget about what else we got coming back. We got guys that dudes don't even know about, Right. You had some kids last year that uh, didn't pitch. You know, we had guys that uh, were rehabbing from Tommy John. And so that's an important aspect to think about too. But uh, the whole season is not riding on the decision of one Luke Holman. If we get him, it's huge for us. Because not only do we have him, we don't have to, to hit against him. Right? The guy's a really good pitcher. But he's not Paul Skeens. And it's not fair to him to compare him to Paul Skeens. He's a generational talent. And that's one of the things too that I think if I was Chris Lamonis, I'd be in his ear about this. Is that, you know what, you go to LSU, you're going to immediately be compared to Paul Skeens. Not to say you're not great, but, you know, Paul Skeens is a freak. So what happens when you, when you drop a couple of starts? You know, what if you go out there and, and you guys drop a couple of games? And all of a sudden it's like, well, this kid's no Paul Skeens. Well, you're right. 
He was never expected to be Paul Skeens, even though that's what some of the LSU coaches have told him. Hey, we think you're the next Paul Skeens. He's he's never close, and that's not a criticism. It's really in praise of how elite Paul Skeens was. And not to mention, as we shared on the show before, you know, the guy that helped Paul Skeens make the big jumps now at Georgia. So not only do you not have the same makeup, you don't have the ability to develop him in the same way. You get a completely different deal. Nate Yeske is one of my favorite pitching coaches in the country. And he'll do a good job. I think if Luke Holman goes to LSU, have a big year. Probably sign a big check next year. He's going to sign a big check if he comes here too. And if you go to LSU, you know what? You're going to be basically be uh, celebrating last year's national championship for a year. And you're going to be unfairly compared to Paul Skeens much of the year. Not to say he can't put together a good year and help himself in the draft. He certainly can. But for a guy like him, that uh, Luke Holman's a guy that likes to challenge hitters up in his own, you know, in a hitter's ballpark like Alex Box, I mean, your numbers may tank a little bit, you know. That's important to understand. But I think it's important that our fans understand Luke Holman is Luke Holman. And Luke Holman's good enough. But Luke Holman is not Paul Skeens. No matter where he goes to school, he's not Paul Skeens. Nobody is. But Luke Holman is good enough to come in here and compete on Friday nights in the Southeastern Conference. He's already proven to be a guy capable of doing that. He's either going to come here or he's going to go there. But our season doesn't hinge on that. Some people are like, oh, Lamontis' job will be decided by this decision. And that's just not true. That's just absolutely not true. There are a lot of people out there that have this anti-Lamontis viewpoint that said, yeah, we should have fired him. We should have fired him. We should have fired him. And so anything that goes wrong, they're ready to pounce, right? There were so many people that had this anti-Lamonis dialogue all throughout the year, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you we didn't have enough to complain about. We absolutely did. But can we give that a rest a little bit now? Those same people are like, oh, we're not going to get Justin Parker. There's no way that guy's coming. And then we get Justin Parker, right? And so now we're down to this whole thing with Braden Montgomery and Luke Holman and Kyle Steven. And the main thing is we just got to we got to get our needs met, right? So speaking of Montgomery, uh, a lot of people you know say, oh, it's close, it's close, it's close. I'm told it's not close at all. I'm told he is not going to make a decision until after he's done playing in the Cape. Guys, that could be a couple weeks. You know, I mean, I, when I was told before he went in the portal, this is not going to be something that lingers on. He's not going to drag this thing out. Uh, but that appears to be the case. I don't think he's dragging it out. I think he's just kind of enjoying playing baseball. Uh, as one uh, noteful social media follower pointed out, he's removed uh, Stanford from his uh, Twitter and Instagram bios for whatever that means. I even forget what's in my bio. So, But uh, there has been some discussion that you know Stanford is working hard to try to get him to come back. And we'll see how that works out. But I don't think that um, Braden Montgomery is close to a decision. Not today. Now, he may wake up tomorrow and feel differently, but based on what I'm told, don't expect a decision until after uh, he's finishing up in the Cape. You just got to be able to enroll in August, you know. And so uh, this may go all the way to the drop ad date. I mean, honestly, this may not be something that, that – so buckle up is the point I'm trying to make because the information that we had in the beginning either was wrong or has changed. It's not going to be a quick decision unless something changes. And, again, there's a lot of people out there that are pretty much convinced he's coming to Mississippi State. Uh, I'm a little more cautious about that. Again, I still believe, based on everything that I've heard, Mississippi State is the team to beat. But until he commits and enrolls here, a lot could happen. So I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, well, things are changing. They're not. 
I'm just telling you, this is not going to be a process that we expect to be wrapped up very quickly. And of course, as soon as I say that, he'll commit tonight. But that's not what we're expecting. Everybody that I talk to that appears to have some knowledge of the situation tells me nothing's going to happen until he's done playing in the Cape. Now, could he come home from the Cape early and go take a couple visits and get this thing done? He absolutely could. But hang in here with us and be patient. Of course, we'll have all the updates as we get them over at jeanspage.com on our baseball message board. If you're not a member, you should be. Uh, probably the most well-read things we've had <clears throat> over the course of the last uh, couple weeks have been, you know, our, our portal updates. And uh, I'm not out there chasing every single name that I hear that's connected to Mississippi State. I did that last year. And then I think all that does is kind of set people up for disappointment because, you know, I, I would get word that, hey, Chris Simonis is in the Cape. Oh, well, who's he watching? Oh, well, he watched this guy pitch and this guy pitch and this guy play. And so last year I put all that stuff out there. And then some of those guys we wouldn't even offer – but then all of a sudden, they would go somewhere else, and people are like, what are we doing? Why didn't we get this kid? Well, we didn't offer him. You know, but all of a sudden, it paints this thing where all these people are going somewhere else, and we feel like, well, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And so I'm trying to be a little more fair about it this year. I'm not putting information out there unless it's a product that I have been able to kind of understand that Mississippi State is corresponding with regularly, is trying to get to campus, and has extended an offer to. So, you know, while the – coverage may not be quite as comprehensive I think it's a little more concise and I'm a little more confident in the reporting this year because of the fact if you if you put every name out there to Chris Simonis and Jay Gotro and those guys go watching the Cape you know there's going to be a, a long list of names and some of those are not bona fide options for us whether they're not interested in us or we're not chasing them that's important to understand all right if you hadn't done so go to, to whenthebottomfalls.com and uh, you can get Five of my six books there. You can pre-order the new one, When the Bottom Falls. And uh, we did find some additional cases of Stark Villains. I know we, we were basically out of those. Now we've got some. So you've got Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and Dogpile at the same website. So you can go to whenthebottomfalls.com, and you can get everything there except for Blooms, which you can get Blooms Voliander at Amazon.com. And as always, Stark Villains gear at starkvillains.com. And if you had not done so, come join us over at jeanspage.com, the most dominant media entity in the history of the world when it comes to Mississippi State Athletics. It's true. It's true. There are people that hate it, but it's true. So uh, come be a part of that, no matter who comes along or who decides to compete. Uh, as long as I have breath and as long as I'm continuing on this beat, I can assure you we're going to make the greatest commitment to cover Mississippi State sports than anybody in the history of this fine university. Until next time. Let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.